with Scott Foster. Hi, so welcome to the history of my new podcast series where I bring you a topic. We talk about the history of it and anything that goes along with it. Hey, yes, and welcome to another history of this time. We're talking about soccer. It is played by approximately 250 million players all over the world. Over 200 countries, making it the world's most popular sport. And not even to mention spectator sport. Now, if you live in the United States, you may think about what? But yeah, if you go anywhere, Europe, South America, India, Asia, soccer is the sport that people watch. And it's almost on all year round. It's getting a little better here in the United States, but still, we've got a long way to come. And one of these sports most fun, besides the World Cup, you have the UEFA European Football Championship. Less formally known as the European Championship, and even what we call it, we've been liking to call it, the Euros. And it's the primary association football competition contested by the men's national team of the UEFA. And all about Europe. It's stress Europe. It's not like the World Cup where it's teams from all over the country, all over the world, but it's only Europe. Now, when I say only Europe, it's a lot of countries. A lot of countries that sports a club team for its country. And not everybody gets to play in the Euros. Now, this is being taped in between the semis and the final. We know the final for the Euro 2020. It's going to be Italy versus England. And yes, I say 2020 because it was supposed to happen last summer. It didn't for the obvious reasons. But they kept the name because all the marketing was out there and everybody was familiar with it. And so it's still called the Euro 2020. Winning is a big deal in Europe. Only 10 countries have done so to, since the first tournament in 1960, with Germany, Spain, and France having won more than once. Now, on the flip side, we'll talk a little bit about the beginning. How did it all start? So you may be asking, well, how did it start? How did the Euros begin? The idea for a pan-European football tournament was first proposed by the French Football Federation Secretary General, Henri Delaney, in 1927. But it wasn't until 1958 that the tournament was actually started. Sadly, three years after Delaney's death. So in honor of Delaney and all the hard work and the push that he made to getting this tournament off the ground, the trophy awarded to the champions is named after him. Been a nice way to recognize the founder, the father of such a, an amazing, huge, influential tournament of the biggest sport in the world. The 1960 tournament, held in France, only had four teams competing in the final out of 17 that entered the competition. You know, so starting out small, just a small group of clubs that would enter until they get all the kinks out of it. Not everybody got involved. Not everybody was invited. But the 1960 tournament was won by the Soviet Union, beating Yugoslavia 2-1 to one in a tense final in Paris, of course, held in France. Where else would the final be? Just like this year's, the final is in the UK. Where else would it be but London, the beautiful city of London? Now, a little bit more about the trophy. So the Henry Dulwini Trophy 
is awarded to the winner, who you talked about. His son, Pierre, was in charge of creating the trophy. Since the first tournament has been awarded to the winning team to keep, and they get to keep that every four years, and then they have to, you know, give it up. And the trophy bears the words Coup d'Europe, Coup de Henri Dolueni, and Championnat d'Europe on the front, and a juggling boy on the back. Now, if you watched the final or did watch the final, if you're reading, listening to this afterwards, maybe you saw the trophy presentation. Every team wants that trophy. Every single team that starts from the qualifying stage all the way to the final, they want that Henry Dillowenay trophy. Now, let's talk a little bit about the tournament itself. What you're seeing, if you watched it, you saw a little bit, a little bit less than five weeks, a month's worth of soccer. But so much happened way before that. If you, you may or may not know, if you follow soccer, then you do. If you're just there for the Euros, then you may not know what it took for those teams, those 24 teams, to get there. And let's talk a little bit about what that is. And now, a word from our sponsors. So before 1980, only four teams qualified for the final tournament. From 1980, eight teams competed. In 1996, the tournament expanded to 16 teams. Since it was easier for European nations to qualify for the World Cup than their own continental championship, 14 of the 24 teams at the 1982, 1986, and 1990 World Cups had been European, whereas the European Championships finals still involved only eight teams. Now, in 2016, the competition increased to 24 teams, which is where we are today. The competing teams are chosen by a series of qualifying games, and that happens way before, almost eight, 10 to 12 months before we get to where we are right now in the Euros, the finals. In 1960 and in 1964, through home and away playoffs, from 1968, through a combination of both qualifying groups and playoff games. The host country for the finals, the Euros, which is what you see now, was selected from the four finalists after they were determined through qualifying. Since the expansion of the final tournament starting in 1980, the host country, or countries, have been chosen beforehand and qualify automatically. How embarrassing and to not get into the tournament, the final, and be hosting. It's one thing to get beaten out once you get going, which happens a lot. You at least got to get there and be part of it. To qualify, a team must finish in one of the f- qualifying spots or win a playoff. After this, a team proceeds to the final round in the host country, which is what we are, the, the, the field of 24. The qualifying phase begins in the autumn right after the World Cup. So the 2020 Euros qualifying began in the fall of 2018. So yeah, so it's a big, long process because you don't just have your players all the time because, of course, the players play for their country, but they also have their club teams that they play for all around the world. And not just in Europe, mostly in Europe, but all around the world. For example, England has players on all the different 
Premier League teams and also in some other European clubs, big clubs. The groups for qualification are drawn by the UEFA committee using seeding. You may or may not have caught the seeding show, as they call it. And it's, it's almost like a lottery. They draw from very random, should be, random way, whether it be the floating balls and they pull out a ball with the name on it and they just seed the groups. Seeded teams include reigning champs and other teams based on their performance in the preceding FIFA World Cup qualifying and the last European Championship qualifying. The qualifying phase is played in a group format. The composition of the groups is determined through means of a draw, like I said, the preceded bowls, if you will. And it always takes place after the World Cup qualifying. So, for example, the UEFA Euro 2020, the group qualifying phase consisted of 10 groups, five of the six teams, and the remainder of the five teams each. And they played, and they played for two years, till we get to the summertime, and we get to the finals, which now is made up of 24 teams. Hit me up on the side. We'll talk about the final. And then we'll get into some fun stuff, like some fun facts, some fun things, and some exciting little tidbits about the Euros over the years. So then comes the final. That comes the four to five weeks of the summer that we get to watch amazing soccer with amazing players. Now, the interesting thing is, is that all these players from all these country teams, they come from all over. They come from amazing teams. They come from Barcelona. They come from Paris Saint-Germain. They come from Chelsea. They come from the Man United's or the Manchester teams, United and City. Well, um, sorry for the bias. Yes, I have it. But the weird, interesting thing is, although they play each other, and they play with each other, not as much. And so you have all these fabulous players coming together because they're chosen for their home to represent their home country. But at the same time, they don't get to play enough. So there's this challenge of gelling and making it work. Because as much as soccer is an individual sport and where your individual talent really can shine, we've seen it in the Messies, in the, in the Cristiano Ronaldo's, and the other amazing players that have played throughout the year. Again, showing my bias. Um, but it takes a lot to gel and, and all come together and really just come together as a team to make it through the finals. Make it to the finals and then make it to the final match. So six groups of four teams play a round-robin format in their group, and then you have the group winner, the runner-up, and the four third-place teams with the best records advancing to the round of 16, which becomes all single elimination. From there, it becomes a normal tournament route. Then you have the round of 16, you have the quarterfinals, you have the semis, and then the finals. 
Again, now there's been 15 Euro finals so far, not including the 2020, if you happen to be listening to this after Sunday's match. There's still 21 countries in Europe that have not made it to the finals over the years. Countries like Israel, Belarus, Malta. Now, some of those are smaller countries with smaller teams and maybe not being able to field the biggest teams or the best teams. But they try. They get in there every year. But then they don't make it. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there have only been 10 countries that have actually gone on to win the final and get that cup. And three countries, France, Spain, and Germany, have won it more than once, with Spain and Germany both winning it three times. Only three countries have won the Euro on their own, in their own country when they have been the host country. Spain in 1964, Italy in 1968, and France in 1984. So it's, it's not easy. It's, it's very, very tricky. And only Spain has successfully defended the title, which means they won it and then they won it again four years later. And this particular moment was 2008, and they won it again in 2012. Now, let's talk a little bit about some fun facts and figures. Just some random stuff. You know, because it's spanned so many years. And it's played every four years. And you have a lot of players that have played it many years in a row. Because they started and they were chosen for their team very, very young. And there's folks that just are superstars and they get picked anyway. And you have all these fun facts and figures to think about. Let's start with the top three match results. Now, obviously, if you know anything about soccer, if you're listening this far, you know that soccer is not a high-scoring, usually not a high-scoring game. Many, many matches, the teams only score one or two goals, sometimes none. The top three match results, scores, over the years of group play and the final... Number three, two to one with 42 matches. The second most common match result, two nil with 50 matches. And of course, the ever popular number one match result over the years during the Euro final is one nil with 52 matches. Now, that comes as no surprise because, again, you are going up against the best of the best. And as, and as you get down to the final, usually it's the best two countries, the best two teams that are left standing still. Left standing on that pitch to play for that trophy. Playing for the Henry Dillawana trophy. Now, there's been some major upsets. Not a lot. But there's been three matches over the course of the years that were 5-0. and And there's been one match. The biggest disparity between the goals. One match was 6-1. to one. And that's when Netherlands beat Yugoslavia in 2000 in a quarterfinal match. 
So again, it doesn't happen often, but there are some times when there is some crazy goals. The fastest goal, the fastest goal came one minute and seven seconds after the first whistle blew. Dmitry Kirchenko for Russia in 2004. The most, the, the team that has made the most final tournaments is Germany. They've made it to the, the summer, summer three weeks the most times with 13 times. And that, that's also when, also when Germany was West Germany. Most goals in a single final tournament is France. They had 14 goals over the span of the tournament, the Euro tournament, in 1984. All right, so if you are a soccer fan, you're going to guess this one. It's very easy. Who do you think holds the records for? And I'm talking about just the, the, the finals, this three weeks of soccer, not including the qualifying. Who holds the record for the most appearances and the most goals? Yes, can only be talking about one person. And his name is Cristiano Ronaldo. Some of you may n- not totally familiar with soccer, maybe listening to this, and might know the name Lionel Messi, and wondering, why, well, what about him? Why have you talked about him? Well, because while he plays for a club team in Europe, FC Barcelona out of Spain, he is from Argentina. And he plays for Argentina when it comes to the country. So he doesn't get to play in the Euro Cup or the, the Euro Championships, but he does get to play in the World Cup. Some other really interesting bits that I'm, of course, this, I, if you think about it, it doesn't, it doesn't shock me too much. But the broadcast revenue from 2004, back in 2004, the broadcast revenue for the Euro, the final, these, again, when I talk about the Euros, I'm talking about these three weeks. It was $660 million. And in 2016, the revenue was, and the broadcast revenue was over a billion dollars. And that's where it kind of stands now. And uh, you can just imagine, because of the popularity of soccer, especially over here in the United States, it's, it's growing. It's not where it should be, but it has contributed to the broadcasters being more amped and more, more broadcasters getting in the battle for showing the Euros. And, of course, they're going to pay more money. This year, ESPN, ABC, over the umbrella of Disney, is showing the Euros. And now I'm, that's definitely over $1 billion of revenue. Just some more thing about some goals. And then we'll get into some highlights of over the course of the years. So five finals have gone to extra time. Only five, which is, which is you kind of think about it, it's very interesting. So by extra time is they played both, both halves and the score is tied. Whether it be nil-nil, 1-1, or 2-2. But nonetheless, there is no winner by the end of full time. And so they go into an additional 15, 
two 15-minute periods, an extra 30 minutes, and only five times that has happened. And the last time that actually happened was in 2000. And it was actually, the, the match was won by a golden goal. And you don't see that anymore because it's been taken out of the rules by FIFA, by UEFA. But a golden goal was the first team to score in the beginning of that extra time was declared a winner. Now, the extra time goes, goes all the way. And if there's no winner at the end of that, then we go to penalty kicks. The worst way to end any kind of soccer match, particularly a high-stakes soccer match like a final. Luckily, that hasn't happened often. 40 goals scored in the finals. 16. Now, this is I, it, it sounds interesting, but it's also quite... You would also think, like, well, makes sense. But 40 goals scored in finals. The final matches. 16 have been scored in the first half. 21 in the second. And just three in extra time. Just some tidbits, just some random stuff to throw at you as you think about the world of soccer and the world of the European Championship over the course of the years. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of more statistics to add up to this wild Euros that we are completing and just had, particularly the own goals. This is the most own goals in any Europe. The, the, the own goals in this Euro is more than any the number of young own goals that have been scored in all the other Euros since. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of human error in this one and some costly ones. And most recently, some would say it gave England the, the, uh, the door into the final for the Euro 2020. Some would say. I do not. Coming up next, we just have some, we'll wrap it up with some fun anecdotes, some major spots that happened over the course of the Euros in the history. And you may remember some of those. Now, throughout these memorable 15 Euros, there's going to be some amazing, amazing achievements. Just wins, shocks, you know, teams that shouldn't be there, make it all the way to the final. Teams that should be expected to go to the final are knocked out in the group stage. Here are my five choices for really cool moments. The first one is Gabor Corrali, the oldest player at the Euros finals, the age of 40. A cult hero. He was appearing in the tournament for the first time. The hungry goalkeeper won the hearts all over the world as he broke Lothar Mathis's record to become the oldest player ever. At age 40, he played the full 90 minutes and all of his nation's four matches and kept a clean sheet against Austria and just really excelled on the pitch. Now you may think, well, 40, what's 40? Well, by age 30, 32 in a soccer player's career, at least for men, you're considered over the hill and kind of time for you to start coaching, even if it's your kids' teams. Next on the list, Hattrick Villa. In the Euro 2008, Spain's David Villa scored a hat-trick against Russia during a 4-1 route. Three goals. You don't see many hat-tricks in the Euros. It's tough to do. Again, you're going against world class. 
It was the first hat trick in the European Championship since Patrick Cluvier in 2000. And Villa, in doing so, became just the eighth player to achieve such a feat in championship history. The bigger thing about that is the hat trick marked the beginning of Spain's dominance in international competition, where they still are dominant today, even though their out uh, for this season didn't go quite as planned. Now we get to some of the shocking stuff. I love this. I love, I love a good underdog story. Always have, always will. And so the rest of my tops are underdog stories. In 2004, Greece shocked the world when they pulled off a European championship victory over the host Portugal in their opening match. The shock was then multiplied when the two teams met in the final. Greece made it all the way through to the final only for Greece to beat the host by the same scoreline and claim their first and only European championship. Nobody saw it coming, not even the Greeks themselves. The team, didn't, the team was 150 to 1 odds to win it all. So that is, that is why you love sports. That is the why, why you love the sport of soccer. Just anything can happen in any given day. It's, it's an emotional ride, not just for the players, the coaches, the fans, the country. It's just fun to watch. Now, another one, Denmark. Wow, this is pretty cool. The 1992 Euros. Denmark failed to qualify for the European competition that year. But the group winners, Yugoslavia, were at war and subsequently disqualified due to the country's unrest. So guess what? The Danes were given a reprieve because they were the group's runner-up. And they were allowed to attend the Euros and made it all the way to the final where they beat, of all uh, clubs, countries, Germany to win the competition. That's pretty amazing. Talk about zero to hero in amazing minutes. Now, you don't see this very often anymore, but there is, there used to be, back in the day, sometimes... There were matches were decided by, wait for it, a coin toss. No coin toss is perhaps so memorable as the one between Italy and the Soviet Union in the 1968 European Championship Final. After a 0-0 nil-nil draw and goalless period of extra time, the match was decided on a coin toss, which Italy won. Imagine that. Going, playing, playing... 90 minutes of football and only to have the match decided on a coin toss. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. I don't know if it was a situation of it getting dark with no lights, it was raining, what have you. The the umps wanted to go home. Who knows? But anyway, it happened and Italy won. What a way to win a championship. One of my most recent disappointments in disappointments slash really kind of cool in recent memory with the Euros. So the 2016 Euros. For 56 years, Iceland did not get into the Euros. 2016 was their year. They got in. They got their first appearance in the Euros. They were ranked 34th in the world. And if you know anything about Iceland, it's not a very big country. But they were in a group with Hungary, Portugal, and Austria. All very, very good teams. They made it out of the group stage into the round of 16. And then they had to play 
England. I'll never forget that match. It was England. It was it was high hopes for this team. High hopes for England and for Gareth Southgate's team. They were flat. They were embarrassing. They were sad to watch. And you had a hungry, excited, lucky to be there. Just, just a, just a hungry bunch of guys in the Iceland team, and they beat England two to one and knocked them out of the 2016 Euros. And for me, that was one of my most recent, recent Euros that I remember uh, moments that I won't forget. Now, again, I said this is before the final of the 2020 Euros, and I'm hoping this England memory that I want to get out of my head is going to be replaced by an England memory that I will never forget, and hopefully it is a win against Italy. But we shall see. Let me know what your favorite memory is from a Euro. What, what do you remember most? What shocking? What is a major feat? What thing do you remember about the Euros? Well, let me know. So if you like music, you like the sound of my voice, and you have not yet downloaded the Station Head app, only for Apple at this moment, go ahead and do that. And the Station Head app allows you to integrate your Spotify or your Apple Music and create your own DJ show, create your own radio station, and come over and listen to my station. A.D. Foster, no underscore, just A.D. Foster, and I play the best of film scores and hard rock and heavy metal. I call it popcorn and stage diving. So if you like that kind of music, you can find me, you can listen to me, and uh, I come on there once in a while, every twice as, as much as I can a day and give a little bit of uh, my own radio DJ show, and you can make your own. Whatever your music is, you can import your playlists into your the station head app and create your own dj radio show it's pretty cool i really like it so i encourage you to come on over and say hi i hope you've enjoyed this episode of a history of as we took a look at the history behind the uefa european soccer championship aka the euros now if you're listening to this before the final of the euro 2020 i want to know who you got England or Italy? If you're listening after, what was your favorite part of Euro 2020? Or maybe you have a favorite part of a previous Euro. Let me know. And thanks for listening. And if you have a topic that you want me to explore in the future history of, let me know in the comments below. You can always get me on Twitter or Instagram, AD underscore Foster. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.